millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, and welcome to the Progressive Britain podcast. This is a podcast with unpopular opinion that progressive politics has a lot to offer in the modern world. I'm your host, Hannah Shah, and I'm joined by my colleague, Stephanie Lloyd, to discuss what Wednesday's votes actually mean for Brexit, the Tory leadership runners and riders, lucky us, and the historic vote on inclusive sex and relationship education. So, first things first, let's talk about the votes on Wednesday. So the unlikely leader of the rebellion, Oliver Letwin, or Prime Minister Letwin, according to leader of the House, Andrew Leadsom, managed to orchestrate Parliament taking back control of the Commons to try and see just what the hell MPs actually want to do about Brexit. So in the end, the Speaker John Burko selected eight motions covering a whole plethora of, of options. They ranged from no deal to a confirmatory public vote, but no option was able to command a majority. Interesting to note, though, that the two that got closest were the Beckett-Kyle-Wilson Amendment, more on that in a sec, uh, on a confirmatory public referendum, and a customs union amendment put forward by Tory grandee Ken Clark. So, Steph, for the mere mortals among us, what does this all mean? Well, I mean, there's obviously been lots of discussion about this all week for those of us that spend all of our time staring at Parliament TV these days, but... Basically, it was a, a move that was made last week by the House to try and come up with some form of consensus around what they could support. So lots of the criticism up until now of the fact that they've not supported Theresa May's deal is about the fact that they're like, you keep saying what you're against, you are not telling us what you actually would vote for. So we know you don't want to vote for this deal, but what could be something that could bring the majority of people in the House with them? So there was what was called a series of indicative votes. We spoke about this a little bit on Monday um, on the podcast that came out on Tuesday. And um, basically what it was, was a way to try and ask a series of questions. And they were a binary choice of yes or no. Would you support this and try and see if anything got a majority? Now, what we know now is that nothing got an overall majority, as you say. Nothing came out in terms of a majority of the House. But there were two that came very, very close. And as you say, the kind of votes spanned an entire plethora of uh, of opinion in terms of what happens on Brexit. So all the way from no deal, manage no deal, Malt House compromise-wise, mm. uh, which is, you know, sunshine and unicorns. And then we go all the way through to 
kind of Labour's choice. We go through to uh, just a customs union. Uh, we then had Common Market 2.0 and we had the referendum mm-hmm. and some f- other kind of mildly technical, slightly different bits and pieces in between. So the big thing that we really took from that is it basically it was the start of a process. So all of those who thought last night would give us some form of solid conclusion as to where we're likely to end up. Sadly, we're going to be disappointed and they were most likely always going to be disappointed in where we where we landed. What it, what I kind of think it means now, though, is that there's, there's two stages of it. One, I think there is a red line in terms of the customs union for the House. So the idea that actually I think the majority of the House, um, it, it feels very difficult now the PM will get anything mm. through in terms of future relationship Absolutely. without having a customs union in that. But I think what we then also saw was and everybody was saying after the kind of first vote on uh, people's vote two weeks ago I think it was now Mm. that it was over it was dead and nobody supported it well that was shown yesterday to quite simply not be true and I think it will be even more interesting when you look at the fact so um, the front bench of the government abstained on all of this very Mm. largely uh, so they didn't have to make any particular decisions we saw whipping from the Labour Party particularly for a second referendum, which I think was very positive. Um, But what this kind of means now is we need to kind of see where the dust settles on this. They're going to go for another round of these on Monday. Um, But it also looks like she's going to try and bring her kind of meaningful vote three, or MV3 as everyone Mm. now calls it, uh, back to the Commons Mm. tomorrow. So that'll be Friday. Um, Yeah. And we talk about that. There's a little bit of a spanner in the works. So in what I call the banter timeline, which is the timeline we now live in, um, John Burko stated that the motion for MV3 would not be accepted without substantial changes. And to me, this looks like the withdrawal agreement and the political declaration will be split to try and get the deal over the line. So Tory MPs have been told to stick around today, so that's Friday. Um, but the exact wording of the motion at the moment is unclear. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think the government will try to do to get around the speaker? I mean, there's lots of different ways that they'll try and do to get around the speaker. At one point, they were talking about having a vote in Parliament to say that Parliament would give its will that it wanted to have another vote. He even turned around and said uh, on Wednesday that he didn't want that to happen at all. And he told the clerks to not even accept anything if the government try and put something down. I mean, the level of unprecedented times we're living in right now is is, is hard to overestimate. But there's a few things that will be kind of interesting on this. And uh, part of that will be, uh, do the DUP support this? Uh, Is she going to be able to move enough people on that? But what we're seeing now, and I think it's going to be the layover from lots of the Mm. the votes that happened on Wednesday. And it was a thing I was kind of, you know, that I was alluding to earlier. It is, this is, has to be seen as the beginning of the process of coming to that conclusion. So what we saw yesterday was largely people voting for, what they really wanted to happen. What are the things they really wanted to make kind of, you know, come to fruition and what would they really want to vote for? I think when it gets to Monday, we're going to start to see far more of a compromise. And I still don't think she's got enough votes to get her meaningful vote through yet. But also they will try and split off, as you say, the withdrawal agreement, Mm. uh, not a deal, very much Alison McGovern's line. It is not a deal. Um, And then the future agreement and the framework for what they're going to do the future relationship negotiations on. The reason why they want to do that is because there is far more consensus for the withdrawal agreement. This is actually what we want the future relationship to be 
whether it is a customs union, whether it's single market, yeah. whether it's nothing and at as all. as far as I understand, it's in the political declaration that lots of the stuff on the Irish backstop is. Well, so no. So the backstop is still in the withdrawal agreement. Okay. So that is still within the withdrawal agreement, mm. but there are lots who will kind of hold their nose yeah. and say, if we have a different person leading the negotiations, if we have particularly lots of the kind of softer Brexiteers or people that want to remain and actually care about the issue of Northern Ireland and the backstop... If if there is a custom, if there's a permanent customs union, if there's a membership of the single market, that it negates the issue of the of, yeah. the of the backstop and how that works. So, if they can get a much closer alignment in the future negotiation in the future agreement, then they will be able to move forward in a way that can that can command more of the house as a majority. Fantastic. This is very confusing. It's very very confusing, and it sort of means that the DUP, as we see, is sort of up in the end. I don't think even the DUP know what they're doing. I remember seeing something that. Their spokesperson said, oh, we'll take an extension of a year. That's fine. And then the rest of the DUP turned around and said, actually, our spokesperson doesn't speak for us. Which is remarkable when there's only 10 of you. But um... <laughs> can just imagine them having that argument in that room. Um, and there's an even further aspect to this. And one thing we often forget, as uh, lots of my friends tell me, they're all like fun civil servants. Shout out to all of you uh, who are enjoying your lives is that we forget the EU27. Mm-hmm. Now, Theresa May at the moment is on a bunch of European front pages. I think it's probably the first time that British politics has really made a splash in Europe for years. Not for any good reason, as per usual. But what was agreed was that the EU27 will only grant a long extension uh, of Article 50 to the 22nd of May if Theresa May passes the deal this week. And as we've discussed, we think that even... What she said, so she said the 1922 committee on Wednesday that she would step down. So she used a sort of final card in that. But you said it still seems unlikely that the withdrawal agreement will pass. And if the withdrawal agreement isn't passed, we only get an extension until the 12th of April. So we're really running down the clock again. What do you think this means for what will happen next? Well, so there's lots of things there. So firstly, the reason, so obviously it was it was quite the intervention of which she made at the 1922 committee on Wednesday and as you say she said that she would step down if she wasn't uh if if they passed her deal she would go she knows that the biggest objection to quite a lot of uh conservative support is her not wanting to lead the next stage of the negotiations and what that future relationship will look like so she would move aside um the reason why I don't think that is going to shift enough is what the DUP do actually matters in some of these circumstances more than what she does if they were to come over and go okay right fine with gritted teeth we will uh, back the deal, uh, then actually you would have a large chunk of the ERG, you'd have a large chunk of the kind of Tory Brexiteers who would say, okay, it's good enough for them, it's good enough for me, fine, we'll vote for the deal, but we want someone new to come afterwards. They have said very firmly that's not what they're going to do. And, you know, if they're waiting for the DUP to blink, I think it's some some ill-advised political tactics (laughs) there to do that with the DUP. Um, but they've said what they can't do at any point is have anything that could compromise the union in their perspective. So they're not going to vote for it. I think what you'll also see then, one is that obviously, I mean, they say roughly about 20 odd Tories are currently trying to run Mm -hmm. leadership campaigns and have staff and are trying to kind of scope all this stuff out already. Um, But once yet again, it means that we are behelst to the kind of conservative party and what it is that they're doing rather than the best interests of the country. But also I think it will actually move. Lots of people are looking at what it will do to the conservatives uh, and if that will bring them any closer. But what I also think it will probably do is push lots of Labour uh, members of Parliament who are more inclined to want to vote for her deal 
further away from wanting to do so because Absolutely. they know that the person that will come after her mm. will be a much hardline, more hardline Brexiteer. So it, it will start to push that, push them away in that sense. And I think basically what's going to happen is we're going to see over the next week, I don't think she's going to move in any way. It's not mm. what she does. It's not her instinct. It's not how she does her politics. She kind of plants her flag in the ground. And basically what's going to happen is everyone's going to move around her mm. and we'll have to kind of see where the dust settles on some of that. And that will again mean what happens with the DUP, what happens with some of her backbenches, what some of her cabinet do. And if they decide it looks too dangerous and at any point they might resign. Uh, and then you've got to look at what happens with the indicative votes uh, on Monday if we get to that point again, if MV3 doesn't pass. Uh, and if we could see more people coalesce around a people's vote. So it's basically all up in the air. And anybody who thinks and can tell you that they know exactly what's going to happen, again, is lying. That's good to know. I mean, one of my favourite bits coming back to that 1922 committee briefing is that it was briefed out, Theresa May saying that the next leader of the Tory party is in this room. Well, I mean, also state the bloody obvious. You've got to be a member of parliament to be able to be the leader of the Conservative Party. And we're not, unless she's going to have a magical general election before then, I wouldn't be surprised if they were in that room. But <laughs> that's hardly an insightful analysis for her. Um, and we saw a number of uh, high-profile wannabe prime ministers, Boris Johnson, anyone, have a dramatic change of heart. Suddenly, Theresa May's deal is great. What do we think of that? I mean, it's about as Boris as you could humanly get, isn't it? It's like, oh, oh, is there an opportunity that I might be able to jump on? Sure, bandwagon, I'll have you. <laughs> Yeah, and Boris. what do we think of the potential leadership contenders? We've got we've got Boris, Gove, Amber Rudd might be in there. We've got Matt Hancock and his app, Gavin Williamson and his sort of trekking through glaciers with his tarantula and the army. You know, we've stop got a great now, cast. It's too depressing. Um, <laughs> I mean, I am certainly no expert on the Conservative Party. I was doing. LBC last night with a few people who are experts on the Conservative Party and they were saying I mean it's been a very very long time since we've seen anybody who's not either in the cabinet or at least was and is of that kind of high profile status Boris etc um who would who would who, who, you know it's been a very long time since someone like that hasn't taken over the leadership um I think it's far more likely that they will be um a Brexiteer than someone like and so I think Amber Rudd um, is very unlikely to get mm. it. Obviously, they've got to whittle that down. I think there are some from the new generation, newer generations that have come through that seem to be obviously quite quite interesting in that. Um, but to be honest, I think, you know, it, the Tory party have a very different system to the Labour Party in terms of how they do that. It gets whittled down through a series of votes till they end up with two, and that goes to the membership. But I think if Boris Johnson is anywhere near that ticket, I think it's quite safe to say he would likely win, and that's obviously what all the bookies agree with as well. Great. Well, finally, and I'm keen to make sure we talk about something that isn't Brexit drama for once, because, yep, the rest of the world is still turning. The Commons voted on a historic motion on inclusive sex and relationships education. Steph, we're 16 years on from the repeal of Section 28. What does this mean? God, it means a lot. Um, it really means a lot. So I was sat there last night. So whilst the... Uh, Whilst all the Brexit votes were going on as well, I was kind of ferociously refreshing the Commons app to see when the kind of results for this vote would come out. And for those of you that don't know, the reason why it's kind of so important in terms of this kind of inclusive uh, relationship and sex education is, and you'd have seen the kind of protests that have happened in, in various parts of the country recently of, of parents saying they didn't want it. But, you know, when 
as a perfect example, the entire time I was in education and compulsory education, it was illegal for uh, my school to talk in any way, shape or form about uh, homosexuality, about same-sex relationships, about any form of LGBT identity. They weren't allowed to do it. If a student was to ask them, if they were teaching anything else about relationship education, it was just, it was a complete no. And the thing that that did to kind of my generation of people um, when we came out as LGBT and, and the kind of baggage that that has carried with us for a long time is almost impossible to shake off because it was the level of shame of which you were you were brought up in that it was illegal for a school to be able to talk about somebody like you that made you feel that level of kind of shame and and, and a kind of willingness to want to hide and repress every part of that identity. And the idea now, and obviously it was a Labour government that repealed Section 28, which was that kind of clause in this local government act that stopped it, that was brought in by Thatcher. It took a Labour government um, to be able to repeal that. But the idea now that children, it's, it's compulsory that children are taught just about different identities, different people, different family situations. And it's not just LGBT. The whole thing ranges from the most inclusive forms of education and making sure that no matter who you are, no matter what your identity is, people are just taught that that's okay and that's normal and this is what exists. Um, and as we say, we have seen a huge backlash in some circles um, against this. We've seen parents come out saying they don't want their children to be taught this. They don't believe in, and it's particularly the LGBT stuff that's really stuck with people. Mm. They don't want their children to be taught this. But to see that level of vote um, and that turnout last night, 530-odd, I think, uh, only 21 mm. MPs voted against it, quite a lot abstained. Um, but that is a huge jump to where we were before. Um, and for me, you know, it was very sad. We saw only one Labour MP vote against that. Yeah. Um, and that was John Speller. And, and you know, people know and people that listen to the podcast regularly will know that one of the things I do in the very little spare time I have is is help run LGBT Labour. And it is, it is a shameful act for a Labour MP to yeah. vote like that and to vote away and to try and to vote away the rights of children to know about the world they live in and to learn about that in a way that is safe that's you know about bringing people with them and about allowing them to just know what happens and be able to be educated and informed and make balanced decisions on those things and for people that you know we've, we've still not heard why he's voted against that yet um but it was it was a real shame and a real disappointment we've also seen some other Labour MPs who, because basically it was a deferred vote, so they didn't have to walk through yeah. the lobbies in the same way, um, have gone, I'm really sorry, I just missed it, but I really, really support this. And, you know, it happens, there's a lot that goes on in Parliament, but there are lots of people who have either abstained, uh, or as I say, like John, who voted against, who who don't want those rights, and they don't want children to be protected, they don't want them to be safeguarded, they don't want them to be taught about the world in which they live in, and, and to do that in a way that's really positive. Um, and I think they should, they should think really long and hard about labor values and what it means to be a labor MP um, when yeah. they're doing those kinds of things. But as I say, it was, it had its, it had its slight tinge points, but it was overwhelmingly a hugely positive result. And, you know, not very long ago, it would have been, you know, it would, it would have never been anywhere near that close. Um, and it never would have been that kind of resounding majority for that. So uh, progress is still happening and uh, and it's going to change the lives of children across this country for the better for a very, very long time.
Thank you. That is phenomenal. And that's why we're here, isn't it? That is. Um, obviously, we'll be focusing a lot on Brexit, of course, over the next few weeks. But I thought it was important for us to talk about other stuff that's happening. And also, you know, we're here. We're a Labour podcast. We're here to hold Labour MPs to account and say, look, are you upholding our values? Are you doing what we should be doing? Thanks for that. That was really powerful as ever. And it'll be in the show notes. You can show your solidarity by becoming a member of LGBT Labour. And in the meantime, hang on in there. Subscribe, rate, review, share this with your friends. See you on Tuesday. You've been listening to the Progressive Britain podcast. The music was One in the West by Blue Dot Sessions, licensed under Creative Commons, and many thanks for our fantastic and long-suffering producer, Caroline Crampton. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.